I want to encourage you to go and turn with me uh, to a new book we're starting to study uh, from today over the next number of weeks and months, and this will be uh, the book of Zechariah. And because I assume that you perhaps will not have read uh, Zechariah perhaps over much, if your page numbering is the same as mine, it's page 950. And today we're just going to read the first six verses of Zechariah. Uh, the words, I think, actually uh, was, wasn't necessarily intended to be this way when I was planning it. It fits exactly to the sentiments of the first Sunday of a new year, and it's a call to return to the Lord. Let's hear God's word, Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your ancestors to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your ancestors now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Then they repented and said, the Lord Almighty has done this to us, has done to us what our ways and practices deserve just as he determined to do. Pray now that the Lord would add his blessing upon his truth. Amen. Encourage you to keep that passage in front of you. Uh, we're going to make re repeated reference it uh, as we, we go through. Now, I've mentioned on a number of times, I, I'm sure already, that I could be what is described as directionally challenged. I uh, really only turn up in places by the grace of God, uh, and that uh, finding directions really isn't, isn't my thing. Uh, in that year when I was moderator and having to travel around everywhere, I really relied on a number of things. And not only was I content, not content to have uh, the sat-nav that is built into my car, I then got another uh, freestanding sat-nav, which was an older one that I had, but the advantage of that one is that it has the sat-nav coordinates um, of every Presbyterian church in Ireland already preloaded into it. As well as that, I would have had my phone, and on my phone I've got Google Maps, and I've got Apple Maps, and even when those things were threatening to fail, is that I also then reverted to having sort of old-style maps of Ireland with me as well down the side of the car seat. So um, in all those things, whether we're thinking whether you're good with, with directions or not, one of the really useful things in your sat-nav, uh, even if it's only to find out how long it takes to get somewhere, is that little button that says go home. 
It's your home button. So no matter where you are, no matter if, if you're lost or not, just one press of that button and you will know exactly the way home and you will know how long it will take to get you home. Now, if you keep that image today of coming home, and that's what we're going to think about for a few moments today. This Bible passage, you've seen that repeatedly, where it talks about returning and returning to God. That's the, the spiritual angle of all of that. There, there's, there is a home that you've got to go to because we know that we drift and we get lost. And so on the first Sunday of a new year, it is appropriate, I think, at times that we do think again about wanting to come back to God because we know individually that we have not followed God as well or as properly or as fully as we might have wanted to. So at the start of a new year, it's good to do that. It's a time when we do make, uh, even if we don't make resolutions, we certainly do make reassessments of our lives and what we've been doing. And particularly this year, We've been hearing already, if you've been uh, listening to the news and all that's been going on and what we've been living through for a couple of years, people do have a lot of expectation of 2022, a, a great desire that 2022 will be very different and very unlike 2021 and the tail end of 2020. We've had enough of all of that. We want something that's different. And we're aware of the, the, the impact that this past couple of years have had on people. We hear constantly in the news about the impact of homeschooling and what that's meant not only for the kids but for parents and what they've missed out on and the challenges of all of that. We hear time and again of the stresses that will come and still to be revealed in terms of mental health because of the isolation and because of our distance from one another, but also those stresses that have been placed upon our lives over the last couple of years. So today it's useful to think in a similar vein on another aspect of all of that, because there's also, I believe, a spiritual impact from all that we have gone through and all that we have come through over the last couple of years. And just to think about that, because we don't so often think about the spiritual impact, about what all of this stuff that we have come through, how that has also impacted us individually as Christians and followers of Jesus, but also as a church. And so today we're going to try and maybe just touch on that a little bit. We're going to look just now at the prophet Zechariah. You probably don't know very much about him. Uh, it is a book that some writers have described as being full of mystery, so much mystery that they've described it as dark and they don't know where to begin with it. But we'll, we'll try and see as we journey through this book that actually we're, we're going to be encouraged and we're going to be strengthened and we're going to be helped as we, we learn a little bit more about Zechariah. But let's start with what we know about Zechariah. You will notice, if you cast your eye to verse 1, that there is a very specific date that is given about when he began his prophetic or his preaching ministry. And if we put that into new money, 
we can describe the date that he began his ministry as being November 520 BC. Putting that also in the wider historical context of his day, that was roughly 70 years after King Nebuchadnezzar had invaded Judah, had destroyed the city of of Jerusalem, had taken away the, the best of the people and he had carried them into captivity. It was then a little bit after in 539 BC that a later king, Darius, had permitted some people to return to Jerusalem, and we we know that about 50,000 people had made that journey back, but those people who had come back found Jerusalem to be very different. It was very different from what they remembered all those years ago, or even if they hadn't been born, they were able to remember or hear the stories of what their ancestors had said this city was like. So they came back to a scene of devastation. The walls were broken. The city gates were completely completely burnt. The, The temple, which was their pride and joy, had been demolished. And so these people who had returned, and they they came back with a huge amount of of vigor. They came back with a desire to honor God and to be God's people in God's land. And they wanted to, to rebuild all these things and to rebuild the temple. And they laid the foundations. And if you remember when we were studying Haggai, which is a, a contemporary book of uh, Zechariah, that those foundations that they'd started to build, well, they stopped building after that, and they left the foundations, and they left them for 17 years doing nothing. So here was God's people, a people who had dreamed of doing great things for God, who had wanted to come back and serve God and to put God first, but now, as they were back in the land after all these years, they were discouraged. They were afraid. Fear had overcome them. They had fallen prey to the thinking of everybody else around and about them. And they faced opposition. And even as we think about these people now, these people of Zechariah's day, in their moments when they were living, I wonder do the sentiments that describe them could also describe us as we live today, because we live in days of upheaval as well. And it's doubly perplexing for those of us who know and love Jesus, who want to honor Jesus, who want to put Jesus first in our lives and in our church and in our land and and in all aspects of who we are, because even though we want to do that, It's the experiences of daily life that actually make it really hard to do that. You want to honor Jesus. You want to live for Jesus. But isn't it the fact that because you take all the knocks and you give way to the thinking of everyone else around you at times, that you find it really hard to live for Jesus? So I'm eager to allow Zechariah to speak God's word and God's truth into our lives today. 
And if Zechariah, and he will over the next number of of chapters as we read them, speak those words of encouragement to you. But he doesn't begin with a word of encouragement. Actually, he begins with something that you might be quite surprised at because it it does seem quite negative. Um, He brings them almost a rebuke. Well, it is a rebuke. And the reason that he does this is because he... He wants people to reflect upon where they've come from and what's gone wrong. And he wants people to look deeply at their lives and who they are and what has impacted their their outlook and what is challenging them. Because he says, unless you face up to these things, unless you self-examine yourself, you will not be ready to receive the blessings of God. And this word of encouragement that God is able to bring. So God's word through Zechariah to his people drills down into their lives. And it's a challenge to make a change. It's a challenge to find that home. Knowing that you are not at home. And that you've drifted. But it's the challenge to return. And that's what this passage is really all about. And the question for us, even as we begin this morning, is are you really ready for this word from God? Are you prepared to receive what God is going to say to you? And that God's word will speak clearly and directly and forcefully to you. So the first thing, maybe as we find our way through this passage, is that there is this challenge that's here. And it's saying, you have a new direction to take. That comes away from the opening words. If you turn with me to verse 2. And those opening words from Zechariah in this prophecy are very direct. In verse 2, he says, the Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Now, the original Hebrew here, the way it's literally put is, the Lord was angry with anger. Now, that doesn't make good English grammar because we don't like using what what could be termed here redundant words, words which mean the same thing. We like to change it up a little bit to make sense. But in the Hebrew, if you want to really reinforce something, if you want to show that something is important, you simply use the word again. So you repeat it. So we have this sense that truly God is is very angry. And another thing that's repeated in verse 3 is the the phrase that is used to describe God. One of the names of God It's down here, it's described as the Lord Almighty. Or in older versions of the Bible would have this, this is the Lord of hosts. And what that phrase to describe the name of God is about is that describes God's sovereignty, God's power, God's control. God is the one who has ultimate control over absolutely everything. And so by repeating This name, three times in one verse, it's again trying to get you to see who is talking here. 
This is not simply the words of any man. What Zechariah is saying, this is truly God's word. This is God speaking. That's what we've got to see at the beginning. And this is going to be deeply challenging. We are, even now, as we hear this, we should be hearing the very word of God. God, as originally he was speaking into the troubled lives of the people of Zechariah's day, people who were perplexed and afraid and anxious, and yet the one who was now speaking directly to them was God himself. And God was saying, I have been angry with your forefathers. Now, again, that's not a very contemporary expression. We don't like this thought that God might be angry because of what people do, but the reality is God does take exception to our life choices. And again, the arrow point of what is saying here is that this is God speaking. This is God's word and what he is calling these people to do, what God is calling us today to do is to, as in verse 3, return. Return to me and I will return to you. To repent. And again, we might ask the question, what specifically did these people need to repent of? And the clue for that is looking to another contemporary of Zechariah. I've mentioned him already, Haggai. And Haggai, in his prophecy, gives an indication of what that is. If I read Haggai chapter 1, and you can just turn back a page if you've got a real Bible, and you can see in verses 2 and 4, and says, this is what, and it uses the phrase again, the Lord Almighty, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. And then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? So we understand it's not so much what they had been doing, but it's what they hadn't been doing. They hadn't been focused sufficiently on God. They got distracted. They were not following God as they should have. Now perhaps, again, as we think about these people in Zechariah's day, I want you to understand is that these people were just like you. They were people who were struggling. They were people who were trying their best just to get by because things were really hard. And they were trying to make the best out of a bad lot. They knew and they wanted to. They knew they should be honoring God, but they were finding it hard to honor God and they simply got distracted. And it's at this point that I want to ask you again, are you ready for God to speak his word into your heart. Because like these people in Zechariah's day, you probably know what God wants you to do. That's clear enough to you. But life is hard and stressful. And at times 
we imagine to ourselves, it's enough that I can do just to get through this. I'm finding it hard enough to keep my head together that I can't pray or I can't read my Bible as much as I should. And that's exactly how the people of Zechariah's day would have reasoned these things out. They were frazzled and they were despairing and yet they were not living as God wanted them to live because they were distracted. Actually, there's another word that the Bible might use to describe that attitude. And you'll be aware of it. It's used very definitely in the book of Revelation, and that word is lukewarm. Could we describe ourselves as being lukewarm? Maybe not by deliberate choice, but it's where we've drifted to because that's our default position. Francis Chan, if you've read his book, I think it's Crazy Love, has a chapter in that book which is entitled The Profile of the Lukewarm. And it's a very probing chapter. And in that chapter, he gives many examples as he details what a lukewarm person does or doesn't do. And he backs each of these phrases up by some verses from the Bible which really point God's word into our hearts. And if I just pick up a number of the things that he says, he says, you know, that lukewarm people are moved by stories of people who are radical for Jesus, but they just don't do it themselves. Lukewarm people are happy to be saved from their sin, but not from the penalty of their sin. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith because they're afraid of being rejected. Lukewarm people say that they love Jesus, and he really is a part of their lives, but he's only a part of their lives. Lukewarm people will serve God and they will serve other people, but there are limits to how far they will go. Lukewarm people will do whatever is necessary to prevent themselves from feeling too guilty. Lukewarm people do not live by faith and they will structure their lives so that they do not need to live by faith. But as I've been suggesting the way our lives are oriented is that we have a tendency to veer towards being lukewarm. That's who we are. And we can be on autopilot and we can be running away from God. And so the challenge from God's word is that you need a new direction. And what a Sunday to do that. In verse 3, return to me and I will return to you. So there's a new direction, but another way we could look at what this passage is, is telling us is that there is also an old path to avoid. If we look a bit deeper, we now look at verse 4. And in verse 4, you will notice that there is something again very direct. Do not be like your ancestors to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed, this is what the Lord Almighty says, turn from your evil ways and your evil practices, but they would not listen or pay attention to me. 
Now again, the word that's in there about turning is the exact same word that was used to return to God. And Zechariah is simply reminding them of what the rest and so many of the Old Testament prophets had been doing. They had been warning the people that unless you repent, unless you return, this evil, this disaster is going to befall you because you are not seeking God. So Isaiah 45, 22 says, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. God says, turn to me. Or Jeremiah 18, verse 11, Now therefore say to the people of Judah and to those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you, so turn from your evil ways. So time and again, God had warned them, if you do not turn, this disaster is going to come. Time and again, God had warned them, but they ignored the warning. A writer that I've been reading in preparation uses the illustration here of Shamu the whale. If you've been to SeaWorld or you've been to some other attraction where there's a big whale in, a, in an arena, and you know the score, there's sort of a, a semicircular front to the, the, the front of that tank. If I can describe it, a tank, it's basically a small lake. And in that tank, uh, the whale will turn and jump and do all his acrobatics. And you will also be aware that there's a sign down at the front, and that sign is very clear. And for the first five or six rows, it says you are now seated in the splash zone. So whenever the whale jumps up and he jumps back down and the water cascades over, the people who are sitting in the splash zone will get wet. Now, the thing to know is is that Shamu the whale doesn't arbitrarily decide to soak certain people. He doesn't see you coming in and says, I don't like the look of him. Or I don't like what she's wearing. No, the people who get wet, get wet because they are seated in the splash zone where there are warnings that say, if you sit here, you will get wet. And if we make the analogy to us, and how we follow God, there is the same idea that if we continue in our sin, if we continue to reject God, if we continue doing what we are doing, ignoring God, then it is the equivalent of being seated in the splash zone. And all those warnings and all those things that God has said will happen, they will happen. But you have been warned. And you are ignoring it. And verse 4 is simply reminding us there is an old path to avoid. There is something here that is a warning and says don't go there. But positively, and maybe the last thing I'm going to say in this passage this morning, is there is a timeless truth that we can hold to. Because it, Zechariah begins to probe a little bit more. He asks a couple of questions. The first question he says is, where are your ancestors now? Those people who didn't listen to the warnings, where are they now? Well, the answer is, they're dead. And he probes it a little bit more. He says, what about the prophets who warned them? 
Do they still live? And again, the answer is no. These things come and go. And even though these things come and go, there is something here, however, that Zechariah says doesn't disappear. There is something here that is constant. And as you look at verse 6, you see what that constant thing is because Zechariah goes on to say, and these are the words of God, but did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants and the the prophets, overtake your ancestors? And that word overtake means to catch up. It caught up with them. But what is constant and what is definite is God's word. And so, yes, there are those warnings which God brings us, and God has always done that. If I read also from Deuteronomy chapter 28, there is the promise of blessing. All these blessings will come on you and will accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and you do not carefully follow all his decrees that I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. But there is one positive constant here and it is the thing on which we must stand and that is the word of God and God's promises to us. You see, what this passage has been focusing on and has been reminding us of in the lives of the ancestors of Zechariah is that they were warned, they ignored it, and what the warning entailed befell them. And so the judgment of God is real and the judgment of God will happen. It's there, it's definite. Even though it may not be much liking to our contemporary ears, the judgment of God is real. But positively... As sure as the judgment of God is real, so the blessings of God are real. And the mercy of God is real and definite. So God makes this promise to us today where he says, return to me and I will return to you. That's real and that's definite and that's strong. And God stands ready to wash completely all those who turn to him in faith. And this is God's word to you today. See, no matter how you feel, no matter how you may sense that you have disappointed God, let God down, no matter how much you may have broken your word and broken your promises, no matter how much you may have drifted, no matter how much you may have lost your focus as a believer, no matter how much shame and guilt you may carry, the mercy of God is clear and definite. Return to me, and I will return to you. Just to get us to think that through for ourselves, Stephen's going to play a video clip at this point. And let's just, in a moment of quietness ourselves, as those suggestions in the screen that we have been watching might speak to us and enable our own response to God. Let's be quiet in prayer.
Father, we thank you for the assurance of your word and your truth to us today. Return to me, and I will return to you. Cleanse us, wash us, fill us. Amen.